Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have the Milwaukee Bucks team preview up next in our series. I talked to Robert Flom of the Basketball Index about how Giannis should be used, uh, Milwaukee's motley crew of young players, and how much money Chris Middleton and Tobias Harris are going to make in 2019. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by Robert Flum, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks writer at the Basketball Index. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, We brought you on to continue our team series preview uh, with the team that you're covering for the Basketball Index, which which is Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know. You cover a lot of teams around the league. You're a pretty busy guy. Um, not only are you an editor at Clips Nation, which is the uh, SB Nation site for the Clippers, uh, you're also like a student at U of M. And do you work at the Daily or no? No, I actually graduated. If I, <laughs> if it still says student, then I need to update. <laughs> uh, okay, I got you, got you. But uh, yeah, you're uh, you're pretty busy. So I don't know how much of a slice of uh, Bucks fandom you have insight into. But uh, we're gonna figure it out together. So, <laughs> uh, what's the uh, what's the one word that you would use to uh, describe Milwaukee's fans' uh, feelings after this offseason? Uh, one word is is tricky. Um, maybe optimistic. I was I was gonna say cautiously excited, but uh, I couldn't figure out how to say that in one word. What makes you what makes you say that? I think that, you know, there are some things that people are happy about. I think the, the Budenholzer signing has generally been very well received. Again, like I'm not super plugged in to the Milwaukee fan base. You know, I, I watch their games like, you know, I haven't started writing about them yet because it's this upcoming season. But, you know, I followed some people, you know, I've tried to gauge, you know, how they're feeling a little bit. And I think people were really excited about some of the stuff. Like, again, the Budenholzer signing very well received. Um, you know, people think he's going to be a big upgrade head coach. He can unlock the roster. Obviously, when you have a player as good as Giannis is and as young as Giannis still is, you know, it's hard not to be excited. But I think there's also, you know, there's some there's some worries there, which is that the roster itself really, I don't think, was upgraded that well. Uh, you know, you bring in Ersan Ilyasova, you bring in Brook Lopez. These are like nice veterans, but they're, you know, they're really not game changers, even in the Eastern Conference. Um, so I think, you know, there's still, you know, if you're not super optimistic about how much a coach can affect a team or just specifically, bud, then I think there's not really that much, you know, optimism in terms of, you know, who was brought in. So I think it really depends on views on coaching impact and maybe on development of the young guys. Cause the bucks still do have a lot of young players. 
Yeah, one of those young guys that they brought in was uh, Dante DiVincenzo, the mm-hmm. DiVincenzo, who they started or they selected in the draft uh, outside of the lottery. Um, what do you think of that selection? That that was curious to me, not because uh, the Bucks couldn't have used uh, another wing player, but uh, because there were other guys on the board at that time that I thought maybe had uh, established themselves a little bit more than Don- than Dante had. In, uh, in college, and uh, it seems like the Bucks could use like an immediate impact type of guy, not a uh, a project, which is what I think Dante is. I am not a huge fan. Um, I think every year there are always a few guys who stand out in the tournament and get over overrated in the draft because of it. He was the very, very obvious candidate this year, and I think that happened. I think before the Final Four, even with a strong showing down the stretch of the season, he was predict- projected yeah, as like a mid to late second round pick, I believe. I mean, there was certainly no question of him being drafted in the teens. Yet after two games, you know, in, in the final four and then the championship game, especially the championship game, he was all of a sudden, you know, this lock to be in the first round. And that's that's just silly to me <laughs> that a guy who, you know, probably with like 90 games in the collegiate career, other games you can, you know, go back and summer workouts and all this type of stuff. And two games really is what lofted him, you know, 20 positions in the draft order. I think that's silly. Um, I don't think he was really particularly a first round talent. I do think he is a good fit for what the Bucks need. They needed a ball handler, a guy who can score off the bench, create his own shot a little bit. And DiVincenzo should be able to do those things. Uh, but I mean, he was just in terms of overall prospect level I don't think he was anywhere near the best pick available on the board Uh, I probably would have gone for Lonnie Walker personally again not necessarily a guy with like might make a big impact in his first year because you know he's a freshman but a guy with definitely much higher upside uh, than DiVincenzo and I think also a very intriguing fit just in terms of throwing another guy with a lot of length and who could be a good defensive player onto the Bucks team um so I think he was kind of the obvious choice that they passed over, but DiVincenzo was just not who I think would have been, you know, the ideal fit for the Bucks. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's not to say that, you know, he won't be successful. That's to say that mm-hmm. there, there could have been uh, better choices at that, at that spot. Uh, so what, what are your expectations for the Bucks this year? Uh, it seems clear to me that they're a, a playoff team at the very least, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe I think uh, top six team, I think, is the most fair way to to view uh, their expectation. Um, where do you come down on the over-under? The over-under opened at 46 and a half. I don't know exactly if it's stayed there or not. That's a pretty good one. Uh, you know, I think generally the over-unders are usually pretty accurate. I'm not a betting person, but they're usually only a few that I feel would feel comfortable taking the over-under on. The Bucks aren't particularly one of them. I'd lean over. Uh, you know, they won 44 games last year, and I do think, even though they didn't make great upgrades in the offseason, I think they did upgrade a bit, and I think they have other young guys on the roster, you know, outside of DiVincenzo, even you have Sterling Brown, you have Malcolm Brogdon, DJ Wilson, Thon McCurr, um, you know, Giannis himself, obviously, these are all guys who could take steps forward, they don't really, they aren't really relying on anybody who's, you know, over the hill, uh, so I think that they're a pretty good bet, you know, especially with the upgraded coaching to win probably in the upper 40s. So I'd say like 48 or 49 is, is what I'd expect from them. So I'd take the over, but it's so, not like a super easy thing for me. No, that, that's fair. 
you listed a bunch of young guys and um I'm just I'm curious about which one of those young guys you think has the best chance of making a step forward. Like uh for me, a guy like Thon, who I would like to see succeed and I would like to see him like fully uh, actualize his potential because I think he's that'd be a fascinating player in, in mm-hmm. the NBA. But right now he's behind like John Henson and they signed Brooke Lopez to start and like they they're front court rotation is so crowded that I don't know that he will get any time. So, and like a guy like Sterling Brown had a good year last year, but they, they drafted a guy like DiVincenzo like at his position. And so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure like which, which one of those young guys do you think has, has the best chance to have a breakout season, I guess. I think I'd still, I'd still go with Sterling Brown. I think um, I am not super high on McCurr. Um, You know, I think, uh, like you said, he has, the potential there's the outline of like a really interesting modern NBA big man there, but I just don't know if this is the year for him. Again, there are guys ahead of him. I think, you know, he still needs time to really adjust the NBA game. Like I, I think he should be getting minutes because he won't really get better if he doesn't get minutes. Uh, but I don't think he will be, or really should be an integral part of the rotation this year. But Sterling Brown is a guy who I think, you know, like you said, he had a good rookie season. I mean, he played, not a ton but when he did play he was generally very competent and for a rookie honestly especially one not taken you know high in the lottery that's a very nice season then again small sample size not even 100 threes but he had 35 percent again you know decent sign that a good three-point shooter is in there somewhere reasonably sized can can play defense uh has like at least a little bit other stuff you know on the court he can He's not a bad rebounder. He can make some passes. So I think there's the outline of a 3 and D type player there. And honestly, though, those are the ideal type of players you need to surround Giannis until he discovers his own three-point shot because that's a guy who's going to be handling the ball a lot. He's going to be making plays a lot, you know, especially from the post, and you need to have the floor space for that. So I think Brown is actually kind of an ideal fit for the Bucks. Like, DiVincenzo's along the right ideas as well, though he's more of a bench creator uh, than Brown, who I view more of as, as kind of like more of an off-ball guy. Uh, but I think Brown is good. I really liked him coming out of the draft. I thought he went, he fell way too far uh, just because he was a little, you know, on the old side. I think he was a junior when he came out and he wasn't, he's not like a dynamic athlete. Uh, and those guys always kind of get hurt in the draft process, but I think he's just like a very solid type of player. And I think, you know, he played 54 games last year, you know, 14 minutes per game, just looking at his numbers. I think he could play 20 a game and maybe hit in the upper 30s on his threes on, on more attempts. So I think of the young guys, he's the best bet for a breakout. Um, I don't, I'm not sure DiVincenzo will really threaten him that much this year. I'm surprised your your Wolverine bias didn't kick in and you didn't pick DJ Wilson. <laughs> Oh man, I'm I'm rooting for DJ, uh, and I think he faces along the same problems as Thon. Really, yeah. uh, you know, he's a he's a project. Like, I think again, like if he pans out, I think he could be really good because he's big, he's athletic, he has some actual like basketball skills, uh, which is not you know super common for a lot of big men these days. You know, there are a lot of those guys in the Capella DeAndre Jordan mold of you know just rim runners, not much else. Uh, which are really valuable. Uh, DJ could be more than that, but right now, and uh, he's just not out there as like an NBA player on either end, really. And I'm not sure he'll get the opportunity this year. I hope he does, because uh, I do think, you know, he's an interesting player. He's still not even 22. 
uh, still young, but um, I, I can't see him having a breakout uh, this particular season. That's that's totally fair. I think that's more fair than than DJ has has shown. <laughs> uh yeah i mean i'm yeah. still standing for nick stauska so it's okay <laughs> uh you know i'm i'm a portland's my side team so i guess i'm kind of rooting for nick now which puts me in a weird spot but uh so uh, we've talked a lot about the guys at the end of the bench i want to let's put Giannis in in mm-hmm. focus so Giannis is uh an mvp candidate um yep. first team all nba candidate um a guy who can win a game for the Bucks at any time. And yet there are holes in his game. There are things that he's missing. Um, what, what should Bucks fans expect? What What's proper for Bucks fans to expect from Giannis this season? I think expecting any huge leap at this point. I mean, he just played his fifth season, uh, all of, so he's going into his sixth. He's played pretty significant minutes in all of them. I think even though he's still young and like you said, he still has, you know, some holes in his game. I think expecting any leap at this point uh, is probably not going to happen. So I think what, what should be expected is some rounding out of his edges, you know, continuous improvement on that outside shot last year, two attempts a game, 30.7%. Can he get that up to four attempts a game at like 34, 35%, like become maybe like a slightly, under league average shooter on, you know, relatively decent volume. I think that's a reasonable expectation. I don't think expecting him to become, you know, Steph Curry or or anybody overnight, is not going to happen. But I think he can make a reasonable jump there. I think, uh, you know, he's always going to have high turnovers because he handles the ball a lot. But I think last year there were times when he, he was a little bit careless. I think expecting his turnovers to go down a little bit is reasonable. Uh, but really, I, I think at this point, it's again, just like making sure the little things, you know, he's boosted his rebounding just about every season, just making sure to contribute something outside of scoring and passing, which he just does just naturally. But I think, you know, maybe a little bit better on defense. He's already quite good defensively. Um, maybe getting a little bit better in like man to man. He's such a threat as a help defender. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'd be interested in, you know, again, a little bit more careful with the ball. Um, and a better outside shot. And I, I'm really not expecting a huge leap. Like last year it was, you know, 27, 10 and five basically, which are just ridiculous numbers. Uh, And expecting any like massive jump from there, I think is, is probably asking too much. I think, you know, maybe the points go up a little with the outside shot. It might open some driving lanes for him. So I think, I think there's a reasonable chance he could average 30 points per game. Uh, But I think, you know, 30, 10, and 5 on, like, somewhat better efficiency is probably uh, what you're looking at. So maybe a little bit more points, a little bit better efficiency, a few less turnovers would be ideal. But, I mean, even that would be a pretty sizable jump if he makes strides in all of those. Um, I mean, I think think he's, at this point, probably the favorite to win MVP next year, uh, which just already says about how much about how good he is. Do you think... Uh, being in a more structured offense under Budenholzer um, gets him, uh, I think, a better like better quality shots. I remember a lot of the times mm-hmm. last year, especially early in the year when when Kid was there, um, they would just give it to him kind of in the high post and just like let him shoot those turnaround jumpers over guys. And I think Bud will like accept that that is going to be part of the offense. But I think uh, 
Bud is a more creative offensive mind than Jason Kidd and, and Joe Prunty. And so uh, I wonder how you think that uh, Budenholzer will be able to kind of leverage Giannis's uh, gravity, as it were, on offense. I think I, I completely agree. I mean, I think, you know, you put it very delicately. I mean, I just think, I mean, Budenholzer is like a much better coach than either of those guys, especially offensively, like you said. Um, you know, I think utilizing him more as a cutter, um, using a little bit less on ball, maybe um, just again, using like his length and maybe sending him to crash the offensive rebounds sometimes just, um, you know, he got over two a game last year, which is really good uh, considering he's still kind of a perimeter player, but I'd be a little intrigued uh, to send him a little harder sometimes. Um, I think utilizing him as a cutter could be really helpful and I think, like you said, just using his gravity, um, I'd be very interested to see him setting picks a lot more, uh, especially as he's continued to bulk up and he can really start setting solid picks that really, you know, get a guy on on the ball handler's hip or behind. Um, I think the Bucks do still lack a true playmaker outside of him. I'm not a gigantic Eric Bledsoe fan. And while I like Chris Middleton a lot, I don't think he's really a guy you should go to and see uh, for shot creation. He's definitely more of a secondary guy. But either of those guys is good enough to be able to run pick and rolls consistently with Giannis. And I think if you can get him creating, um, you know, from rolling to the basket from like 15 feet out, if he has enough spacing, the paint is going to collapse on him because he's so long. He can get to the rim very easily and he's a great finisher. And then it's just a matter of him making a simple kick out. So I think for Bud, it's going to be finding the right rotations, getting the right spacing and ball handling to put around him so he can be used off ball a little bit more, but still have that shooting. So either when he does have the ball, uh, he has spacing around him, or when he doesn't, you know, he's not just immediately swarmed um, and, and his gravity is a little less. So, yeah, I mean, I think using him as a roller a bit more frequently is definitely something that Bud will try doing. Um, there are, there are lots of lots of different ways that I think he'll be able to use Giannis outside of, as you mentioned, more as like a Kevin Durant type shot creator and maker, which is really not Giannis's game. Uh, he's improved at that, but you know he's still just not a great shooter. Um, so when when he gets hot from mid range, it's it's very difficult to stop him at all. So do you think he starts at uh, three, or do you think he starts at four? That's tough. I personally would probably start him at center. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But, but I uh, I think he will start at the four. Um, I'm not sure if Henson or Lopez will start. I mean, I, I know Henson's been the guy. Um, I think Lopez's shooting is intriguing um, to have next to Giannis. But I think he's probably um, – going to start at the four I would not be surprised to see kind of the similar lineup as last year where it's Bledsoe Snell Middleton Giannis and then Henson or Lopez um I think that's probably going to be you know the Bucks basic Mm go-to but I would not be surprised to see him either in bigger lineups uh, where he is at the three or possibly playing center uh because again like modern NBA Brooke Lopez really can't do like switchy defensive stuff Henson is better at that, but I mean, having Giannis at the five would be really deadly, I think. 
I think having Giannis at the five is a good like playoff closing lineup. I don't know if I'd mm-hmm. want to put his body through that for right. 82 yeah. games. And I think that's part of the reason why you bring in a Brook Lopez, who's a guy who can absorb a lot of that and is still skilled enough to contribute offensively instead of a John Henson who like lacks that kind of offensive polish. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely fair. I mean, he's he's bulked up, but he's still not that durable. I mean, even LeBron James doesn't play full-time at center, and, I mean, he's LeBron James. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's a, that's a lineup where, you know, you unleash it at certain points in games or against certain opponents, and then in crucial situations, maybe you run it a bit longer. Uh, you know, if you're trying to beat the Warriors, you might have to throw that lineup out when they go to the death lineup or, you know, the Houston equivalent, though. Uh, him on Capella might not go super well. But, you know, for those teams that also do go smaller, uh, you can go smaller to match with the honest at the five. And then all of a sudden he's bigger than the small ball centers he's he's be going up against and more athletic and more skilled. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you do not want him banging against big guys for you know even 10 minutes a game probably it's 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 like a a few minutes here a few minutes there type of thing i think yeah exactly and in much the way the pelicans have leveraged like anthony davis at center Mm -hmm. lineups um where that's not what you start with but if you need some points and it's it's late or it's late in the game and you have a good matchup uh, it's something you can turn to um so i guess the next guy i really want to bring up is is eric bledsoe you said you weren't a huge fan which uh, might shock a lot of Pistons fans who have been clamoring for Eric on the Pistons for like as long as I can remember. But um, so the trade last year, uh, I think made the Bucks like slightly more equipped to make the playoffs, but um, I'm not entirely sure it makes them a better team uh, this year. Uh, I've, I've liked Bledsoe, but I've never been sure how he meshes with Giannis. Uh, both of those guys are at their best uh, with the, with the ball in their hand. And uh, Eric is not, he's never shown like enough um, basketball IQ to be like a really good like off ball cutter or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. he's not necessarily like the most deadly spot up threat. Uh, And so he like, he doesn't warp a defense in that way. Um, So I think the area where Bledsoe really has to contribute is like on the defensive end, but he showed a, a lack of interest in doing that at times last year, even though like that's allegedly his, his calling card. Um, what do you what do you think Eric Bledsoe needs to needs to offer the Bucks uh, this season? I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think ideally their ideal point guard, outside of you know a superstar type of player like a Kyrie or Steph or, or what have you, Dame, um, their ideal is honestly coming at it from a, a Clippers. You know, mostly writing about the Clippers is a Pat Beverly type. He plays defense. He hits threes. He can do at least a little bit in terms of ball handling, but he knows his role. His role is to help Giannis. And I think Pat Beverly would work perfectly there, like a three and D point guard, basically. A a prime George Hill would probably be the perfect fit there. Um, Bledsoe has kind of the makings of that. You know, like you said, he has a defensive reputation. Even though he's not super tall, he has really long arms. He's athletic. He can switch a couple positions. Uh, he's developed in recent years at least, uh, you know, an okay outside shot. It's not great, but it's it's fine. He's at least needs to be guarded out there. As you mentioned, though, the problem is he just doesn't really want to play that way on either end. Um, I mean, I think his defense has been overrated for years, and he's just not a great decision maker on offense with the ball in his hands, yet he likes to play with the ball in his hands. 
So the Bucks problem really, and what what I've I think he's been miscast since he left the Clippers. Where even though he's really good, and you know his his best couple years in Phoenix, he was very very good. I just don't think he's really a starting point guard. He's a guy who should be coming off the bench for twenty to twenty five minutes a game um, as like a an, an energy dynamo type. Uh, you know, you bring him in, you just set him loose. He causes chaos. He he runs fast breaks all the time, even when maybe he shouldn't. Um, you know, he gets really energetic on defense. He hypes the crowd up, that type of thing. He's really not, you know, even though the NBA has gone away from traditional point guards, he's just not really a point guard. And he also, he's one of those guys who I think becomes a little exposed again in extended minutes where the stuff he's really good at, he just doesn't do, which is be really energetic on both ends of the court. And he kind of gets away from that. Um, and so even though he puts up numbers, I don't think the impact is really what you want from him. So I think ideally he'd be coming off the bench, even if they start a guy who's worse in his place. Um, you know, Delavadova is actually kind of the right idea in like that three and D type, except he's just, you know, he's Delavadova and not Pat Beverly or prime George Hill. Uh, but I mean, I think as much as Budenholzer can, he needs to try to get Bledsoe into playing off ball a little bit more working on that three-point shot, um, you know, working on really getting volume up more than anything. Like, he should be taking, like, six threes a game, probably, because uh, he's going to get open shots. Like, Giannis will get double and triple teamed. Chris Middleton, especially when he's feeling it, will get double teamed. Uh, you know, again, use that space to cut, because he's an explosive athlete still, even at, you know, age 29. Really throw down still. Uh, and that's the type of things, like, he just needs to be more in a set role and he can still you know handle the ball when Giannis needs a breather uh or when he or, or Middleton's having an off night or when Bledsoe's really feeling it but I think off ball definitely needs to be used more and I completely agree and I think most of his energy realistically should be put into the defensive end of the court on offense uh you know secondary tertiary ball handler off ball guy defense needs to be you know, doesn't have to play, you know, 90 foot defense, but should be picking ball handlers up at half court, um, you know, energetically fighting through screens, really making his man work for shots. And we haven't seen that since probably the last year the Suns were good, which is, you know, four years ago now at this point. I think the thought process was like once he leaves Phoenix and once he has something to play for during the regular season, we'll see more of that. And that's why I think I was most disappointed that, um, none of that like flashed during the regular season. Uh, we saw a little bit of it during the playoffs, but not not as much as I would have liked. So, but it sounds like you're envisioning something like a like a lineup where Brogdon is the primary ball handler, um, Bledsoe is like the off off ball guard, and then you have like uh, Middleton, uh, Giannis, or like uh, what's his name, uh, Middleton, Snell, Giannis at five, something like that, where. Uh, the ball handling pressure is taken out of out of Bledsoe's hands, but you're still able to kind of switch, mm-hmm. be able long enough to switch everything defensively and have enough uh, shooting around Giannis to where like you're comfortable with him playing five. Yeah, I mean, I think again when you go small, it makes the Bucks lineups work a little bit easier, just because I mean, I, Brooke Lopez and John Henson are both serviceable in their own ways. Uh, but neither of them ideally should really be playing more than like 20 minutes a game. I mean, obviously if you put those together, that's 40 and that gets you close to like those minutes at center. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think having Bledsoe play more off ball works. The problem is if you have him at, at like a traditional point guard, 
um, you know, don't have another traditional point guard out there, or, or even a guy who can credibly do it like Brogdon, and you have like a guy like Snell, that means Bledsoe has to handle the ball more because Tony Snell can't, and neither of the Bucks big men can at all. And, you know, Middleton kind of can, but not really. So, yeah, I mean, I think bringing Snell off the bench would be my ideal. I think I would start Bledsoe and Brogdon uh, with Middleton and Giannis. But the problem is that that doesn't really utilize Snell very well because he's not really a shot creator type. And he's best used as like that fifth starter, uh, which is what he's, you know, done the past couple years. So I think in that sense, you know, that lineup utilizes him better. But I think for Bledsoe's sake, um, you know, having a traditional center and and Snell on the court kind of does put him more into that traditional point guard role and he shouldn't be. Um, yeah, I would be I would be intrigued if they started Brogdon and Bledsoe together. Uh, I think that might be the best combination. I just don't know if we'll see it, especially right out of the gate. So I want to move on to Chris Middleton who is just like a picture-perfect role player uh, for this team. For me, the main question about Middleton has nothing to do with his game. It's about his contract. Uh, have you heard? I haven't heard anything about like any potential extension talks or, or anything like that. Um, what do you think Middleton is worth to the Bucks, and what do you think he's worth uh, on the open market? Oh, to the Bucks. Uh it's tough just because a max is just so much. And, you know, if you're paying guy a max, you need to be sure that player, you know, especially if you're a team trying to contend, which the Bucks ultimately are, that they are like a key, key piece to a championship team. I think Middleton could be. Uh, I think he is probably worth somewhere just under the max to the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the biggest issue with him um is like you said, is just like, will someone else come and take him away? I think he's basically a perfect fit for the Bucks. I mean, what makes Middleton so great is he's just basically a perfect fit for any team in the NBA right now. He's just an ideal modern NBA wing. Uh, but he is going to make a lot. I mean, I could see a team, not the Clippers, because I think the Clippers are looking for a little bit more star power. But I could see... There will be any number of teams uh, with cap space. I could easily see him making, you know, a five. Uh, well, no, no other team could offer him five. I could see like twenty-five million dollar years um, per year for for Middleton, and I don't think teams would even really blink at that. Um, you know, Otto Porter got more than that for the Wizards last year. He got a full max. It's a little different because he was he was restricted and he was their guy. Um, but I mean, I think if Teams are willing to pay Otto Porter $28 million a year. Teams will definitely be willing to pay Chris Middleton. Uh, I'm not sure if I would go as high as like $30 million. Um, You know, I think for 120 like 122 for Middleton is probably an overpay um, just because I really don't think he's quite a star player and I just can't see non-stars getting that much. But I think $25 million is like a pretty fair deal and – I mean, honestly, the Bucks will kind of have to go as high as the market goes because they legit, I mean, if they lose him, that that's not good. <laughs> um, so, and I think he's ultimately worth more to the Bucks than he is elsewhere because he is a perfect fit next to Giannis and, and their other guys. And even if they have to overpay, I think they, it's better than losing him um, because you have to take, you know, his contract 
and what happens with him directly ties into Giannis. You know, Giannis is still young, but as soon as these guys hit that second contract, the time starts ticking. And if you lose Middleton just because you aren't willing to pay him, one, that could really anger Giannis. Two, that's throwing away a really good player to have as Giannis hits his prime. So I think, you know, if I was just a team ideally looking to pay him, I would not go above 25-ish million. But I think the Bucks will pay whatever it takes, and that might end up being the full max. You went you went higher than I thought you would. I think uh, <laughs> I think Gary Harris got what like four for eighty four, and like that's about where I think Middleton would would find himself uh, on like a completely open market uh, next year when when everybody has space. But um, I think you're definitely think, right in that. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, I think the difference is. I mean, I think Harris Harris is younger. And I think he has a little bit more offensive juice than Middleton does. But I think Middleton's size is kind of what differentiates him from Harris. Just he, like Harris, he's long um, and he's a, he's a good defender. But Middleton is definitely a little bit more versatile defensively. Uh, and I think, you know, there's some metrics that question how good he actually is on that end. But I think a lot of that just has to do with scheme and coaching and all that kind of stuff. Um but I think that would kind of be what pushes him over a little bit compared to Harris. But I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think 25 is an overpay, but I just think, you know, this summer, this upcoming summer will also be just different in that it's going to be the first time since 2016 that teams have had cap space. Uh, so I think there could be overpays handed out um, and substantial ones. And I think Middleton's honestly a pretty good candidate for that. No, I there you brought up the Clippers uh, who – We'll see if they re-sign Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari and everybody else that's on their their squad, and we'll see how much space they have if they're able to get Kawhi or whatever, uh, or if they strike out on Kawhi. We'll see what kind of contracts they offer uh, other other players. You have teams like Dallas who could like really mm-hmm. use a guy like that. Um, I think that uh, like a slight overpay for a guy like Middleton, if you're the Bucks, if that fifth year isn't enough, isn't enough of a like an incentive. I think that's probably fine. You can't lose uh, like Jabari and Chris in back to back off seasons and like convincingly tell Giannis that like you're trying to build a championship team around him. Actually, no. Speaking of which, how much do you think the the Bucks are going to miss Jabari Parker? That is really tricky. I mean, I think Jabari has to be mm, at least like a top ten polarizing player or kind of a guy who. You know, even though he's been in the NBA for four years already, I still don't think a lot of people know what to make of him. I think they are going to miss him because, again, like, uh, they still kind of lack offensive, you know, capabilities. I don't think they're a super diverse offensive team. It's really still going to be a lot of Giannis and Middleton just getting the ball and scoring. Um, you know, Bud will obviously help with that, but. You know, unless one of their young guys, again, going back to their young guys, unless somebody like a Brown, a Sterling Brown or Brockton has like another breakout um, or DiVincenzo dazzles a rookie, their offensive like go-to guys are, are kind of limited in terms of shot creation. And Jabari Parker, if nothing else, can create shots. And he's actually a semi-efficient scorer. The problem was just defense to lesser extent passing. But I think... Bud is actually a coach who, you know, is smart enough and has good enough schemes and rotations who could have papered over some of those weaknesses a little bit better than Kidder Prunty did. I think the Bucks will miss him. 
And I think what the Bulls gave him was an overpay. I'm not sure I would have matched that. You know, the, the Bucks did renounce him, so they weren't, you know, they weren't going to match anyway. Uh, but I would not have paid that much, but I do think they'll miss him. I think people were forgetting just last summer going into the season, people were thinking Jabari was going to be taking this big step forward. He was still young. He's going into his fourth season. Uh, you know, he was coming, he's coming off that injury, but he was pretty good the year before. And he scored 20 points on, on relatively solid efficiency. And, you know, he demonstrated more of a passing gene in that season as well. So I think to some extent people are underrating him a little bit. I think all the potential is still there for him to be like a mid 20 point per game scorer on pretty good efficiency. And I don't care how bad his defense is. I mean, that's a valuable player. You can argue how valuable, but if you're scoring 24 points on like 48% shooting from the field, like 38% from three, getting to the line a decent amount. I mean, that's that's a very helpful player to have in the NBA and is particularly helpful on a team like the Bucks, which again, really lacks shot creation. Yeah, I think you're right in that Chicago definitely overpaid, but the structure of that contract where it's like, very much functionally like a one year make mm-hmm. good deal with a second equally like highly paid uh year if you are good tacked on to the end of it um makes it and like a, that's a fine way to stru- if you're going to overpay yep. a guy that's a fine way to structure it but uh at the same time i do kind of wonder what what jabari's market would have been if his agent wasn't mark bartlestein who has a really good relationship <laughs> with the bulls and if he wasn't you know, a Chicago high school prep star. They will, who else is going to give Jabari Parker twenty million? I guess nobody. I mean, uh, maybe the Kings, but because uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you never know what the Kings will. Do. I think the Kings, if I remember, the Kings actually were linked to him because uh, they were linked to him and Levine. I think well, um, they were linked to everybody, the every restricted free agent, because they only they were one of the few teams with cap space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I completely agree with you on. You know, on Bartlestein, uh, you know, he really, he, he gets guys paid. Um, and that's his job. So, you know, that just means he's really good at his job. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think any other team was probably paying him more than like 10 or 12 million. Um, you know, even that might've been high. I mean, in a summer where DeMarcus Cousins admittedly under kind of different circumstances and, you know, with some of his own personality issues got, what was it like 5 million? Uh, you know, the market for Jabari was probably not that great. Um, 20 is definitely an overpay, but like if I was a, a bad team, which had like, you know, a, a space to sign for a couple years at like 10 or 12 million, I think that's like a very good gamble. Um, you know, it's not enough to like really clog up your space in future years. And if Jabari becomes the guy who, you know, he showed he could be, the 2016-17 season and, and steps up from that, that's a good contract for him, um, you know, defensive weaknesses and all. So, I mean, I see why the Bucks let him go. And, I mean, there are all these rumors about, you know, his relationship with Giannis and, you know, his him being frustrated about various things and kind of not getting the limelight and, and getting some of the shots that he thought he might have deserved. But I think everybody also thinks he's generally, like, a good a good guy um, and like a, a good teammate. So I don't know how much of that is overblown, you know, with, with all the talk on Twitter and stuff, everybody's made out to be, you know, either much better or much worse than they are. And really most of them are probably somewhere in the ballpark of average. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think 
he's a loss for their team, certainly. Um, I think his potential is really what's the bigger loss, though, not necessarily what he would have brought, but just the kind of upside uh, he has. Because, again, they have a bunch of young guys, but a lot of them are, are kind of either not really ready for a breakout when you look at, you know, DJ Wilson, for example, or probably really just don't have that much upside, even though they're young and haven't been in the NBA that long, which is like a Malcolm Brockton. So Parker was kind of that unknown factor, and the Bucks not having that, you know, who knows how much it will actually hurt them next season. But it does dim their overall outlook a little bit, I think. So, Robert, in your mind, what's the biggest on-court problem for the Bucks uh, next season? I'm going to say I still think it's going to be shooting. <laughs> um, I think that they have a bunch of guys who, when you look at their numbers, are solid enough shooters. But none of them is really the type of gunners, I think, who really will really create space for Giannis. Like, even a Kyle Korver type would help so much in terms of just movement off ball, like the ability to cut up a three anytime, any place. The Bucks really could use that kind of guy, and they don't have it. I mean, Middleton's good outside shooter. He took five threes a game last year, which is not like it's, that's a decent volume, but it's not a ton. Uh, you know, you look at Malcolm Brogdon, also pretty good outside shooter, but I mean, he only took three and a half threes a game. You just go down the list, you know, Eric Bledsoe is also around three and a half, I believe. Um, you know, even Tony Sell, whose basic job it is to just shoot threes, like that's what he's playing for. He only took three, 3.6 last year too. I mean, we have a lot of guys who can kind of shoot threes, but they need a higher volume. Uh, some of that is on shot release or on, or on size. In case of Bledsoe, he can't quite get shots up as much as taller players can. But, I mean, they could really use just a very dedicated, a really, truly excellent long-range shooter, and they don't have that guy. Um, so I think, you know, it with the right with the right lineups, and I think Bud will find those lineups, I think there'll be some good spacing, but I think it could be better. Um, you know, even like Gerald Green type, just a guy who will come in and will take threes. You know, if nothing else, you know you're getting three-point shot attempts from Gerald Green. I think he would help. I think he would help the Bucks a fair amount. And the Rockets re-signed him for the minimum, I think. Um, you know, it seemed like he was just going to end up back there anyway. But, you know, that's the kind of guy who I think could have been really useful for the Bucks. Maybe they think that's DiVincenzo. Um, you know, he's certainly a gunner of sorts, but I don't think he's really going to be that type of dedicated three-point specialist, you know, at least not next season. Can I sell you one Langston Galloway? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, I think the Bucks will pass. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, he's kind of like the Avery Bradley level of gunner where you're just like they shoot and it's just you don't want them to shoot. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think kind of, I mean, a guy like that who just will take shots. <laughs> is not like the worst thing. Um, you know, Shabazz Muhammad in that sense, I think was kind of like, you know, people laugh about Shabazz, but I think he was kind of like an intriguing signing in terms of just a guy who will shoot and will take open threes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it needs to be a guy who's just better than like some guy. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Is uh, Shabazz was a restricted free agent, wasn't he? Is he back with the Bucks? You know, quite honestly, like, this is bad. I am not sure. You know, no, I'm, I'm uh, I think he's still a free agent. Oh, my gosh. I, no, I think 
Uh, going by the ever helpful Wikipedia page, uh, he last played for the Bucks. Um, I think on Basketball Reference, he does not have a contract. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody signed him. Oh, wait, on here it still says the rules, but I think that's because he was signed to a deal and was bought out. Oh, okay. um, no, I don't. I don't think he's signed. Oh. Um, he swung a he swung a playoff game. That's 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 a rough life, man. I legit think he's probably an NBA. If I was an NBA team, I would sign him for the minimum. Uh, maybe not guaranteed. I mean, I th- he's probably a guy who realistically some team will pick up in the middle of the season. Um, but honestly, I you know I don't know if the Bucks really have a roster spot to spare. But like that type of player, I think could be helpful. Um, again, you know, ideally you'd want it to be a better player than Muhammad like I think Green is like the perfect level of just like you bring him in he can shoot threes he'll help space the floor when he's cold or just chucking too much you yank him um but yeah I mean I I think shooting is probably still shooting just the lack of like a true sniper is probably the biggest weakness on the books and I mean there aren't many of those guys um you know Steph Curry's and, and Clay Thompson's do not grow on trees because otherwise they wouldn't be who they are. But I think the Bucks really could have done a better job of getting that type of player. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's still shooting probably. Yeah. Where do you uh, where do you see the Bucks ceiling uh, like results wise, like playoff wise? <sighs> ceiling? Yeah, I think ceiling. I, if several of their young guys break out, you know, obviously health is, is a given for any ceiling conversation. But, you know, if DiVincenzo has a good rookie year, if one of McCurr or Wilson proves themselves as, you know, a pretty good young modern NBA big man, if you get like a Sterling Brown semi-breakout campaign, if all these things happen, if Giannis hits a three, uh, hits a three, <laughs> if he starts hitting threes, um, you know, I think 55 wins could happen. I don't think it's realistic. I wouldn't bet on it. But I think in terms of win totals, I think 55 is a realistic ceiling. I think in terms of playoffs, I mean, I think I think their ceiling is quite honestly, I was going to say the NBA Finals. <laughs> um, I think you could construct scenarios where they could beat the Raptors or the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. But, I mean, I think... That's that's kind of a stretch. I think fifty five wins in the conference finals is is like a pretty realistic ceiling. No, I think that's that's about where I was. Uh, what's a what's a realistic floor, uh, barring any like major injuries to Giannis? Essentially, uh, I mean the bottom of the East. Uh, no offense to your Pistons is uh is not great <laughs> this year. Um, if Giannis doesn't get hurt, I I really can't see a scenario where they don't make the playoffs. Um, I mean, they won 44 last last year, and, you know, they made a big coaching upgrade. I mean, they got probably, after Dwayne Casey, I'd say, you know, Bud, maybe some people might have put Bud as, as the top coach on the market, but he was one of the top coaches on the market, you know, very highly in demand, very well respected. Uh, you know, if that resulted in fewer wins, I think that would be pretty disappointing. So I'd say... I'd say a floor is, you know, um, you know, maybe Middleton gets injured. He was pretty healthy last year. Um, I think actually played every game. Um, but uh, maybe Middleton gets injured for a bit. Maybe Bledsoe continues to not care on defense, doesn't, you know, doesn't want to play off ball on offense. Uh, you know, none of the young guys break out. It's basically just for the reverse. Um, you know, 
if DiVincenzo is unplayable as a rookie, if Brown regresses after his rookie season or just doesn't improve very much and he's really just like a limited bench guy, uh, if Brogdon stays around the same of, you know, solid, like low-end starter, really good bench guy, if all that stuff happens and, you know, other teams in the East, for example, maybe Blake Griffin stays healthy for a change, which I would love to see personally, and the Pistons are actually really good, uh, or not really good, but, you know, <laughs> mid-40s or upper 40 wins good. Uh, that could happen. I think, um, you know, there are other teams in the East who theoretically uh, could could be better. I mean, the Hornets have a new coach. Kemba Walker is really, really good. Um, you know, I think a realistic bottom is probably like 41 wins and like the eighth seed. I don't think it'll happen, but I like unless Giannis gets injured, I just I can't see them not making the playoffs. No, I think that's fair. I think definitely with the coaching upgrade and the amount of talent on the roster, the they're essentially locked into a playoff spot barring yeah. injuries. Yeah. So uh, from afar, this is the Detroit bad boys podcast. We do have to talk about the Pistons. You do sound excited about the prospect of Blake Griffin uh, playing a bunch of games for the Pistons, which excites me. Uh, what have, <laughs> what have your thoughts been uh, about the last six months in Detroit? That's the the trade for Blake Griffin. That's firing Stan Van Gundy and hiring Dwayne Casey. That's uh, anything they did in free agency or the uh, the front office uh, restructuring they've done. Uh, what what have your thoughts been about the Pistons lately? You know, I think for the Clippers, I think the Blake Griffin trade was like an A A plus, um, which would seem to indicate for the Pistons it would be correspondingly low. I don't think so. I think for the situation they were in, I think he was a gamble. And I think his contract is is really bad. Um, you know, just because I hope, I really hope he's healthy. I just can't bet on it at this point in his career. Um, as his athleticism keeps going, I just don't know. Even for as much skill as he's developed in terms of ball handling, passing, and even shooting now, I don't know if he's going to be like a max level player, especially towards the last couple of years of that. And he's still really, really good when he's healthy. I think that was a worthwhile gamble. And, you know, I, I went to Michigan. You know, I know some of the, the problems they've had in getting people to the arena. I think trying to get, like, a real star, like a guy who you can really market and promote is important. I think people always forget about that side of, of basketball in the NBA and focus more on on-court stuff. I think Griffin was a good gamble. You know, I, I think that they gave up a fair amount. Um, you know, they gave up a lottery prick, Tobias, who's really good and is, is cheaper than Blake and Bradley, who I'm not a fan of, but like, he's still an asset. Um, so, and Boban, that probably gets, like, Boban. <laughs> I mean, Boban is kind of just like, you know, he Fair. really made the A plus for the Clippers. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, he's, he's awesome. Um, you know, I don't know how much he's actually going to play for the Clippers this year, but he's, he's the best. Um, but I mean, I like, I like a lot of what they did. I mean, you know, Stan Van Gundy, the person, the personality I really enjoy. I think he's been kind of floundering with the Pistons. I mean, I think just the dual role is just horrible. I think Doc Rivers had his best year coaching since he was on the Celtics. I mean, he was better this year as a coach than he has been ever before for the Clippers. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact he wasn't doing the GM role anymore and he could really focus all of his attention on coaching and not have the other stuff clouding his brain. I mean, obviously he's Doc Rivers. He's still consulted on front office moves, 
but he doesn't have to do like all the duties of a GM and, and basketball operations guy. And I think that was really holding Van Gundy back as a coach. I'm a huge Dwayne Casey fan. Um, I understand his limitations. I mean, I think the Raptors in some sense were smart to move on from him, but I still think he was a fantastic tire hire for the Pistons. Um, he's really good. He's kind of exactly what they need in terms of guy who can really bring a team that's kind of been less than the sum of its parts into a team that is at least the sum of its parts, if not a little bit more. I like Luke Kennard. I mean, he'll forever probably be remembered as the guy who they passed on, uh, um, who they took instead of Donovan Mitchell when they play the same position. Um, but I, I like him. He was quite good as a rookie last year. Um, you know, Reggie Bullock got, got love for the ex-Clipper there as well. Uh, he's signed to a really nice, reasonable contract. He's very good. So I think on the whole, I think they had, you know, a pretty good summer. Um, I like what they've done. I think their team is of of kind of that third tier in the East. I think they're probably the best. Another UM guy, Glenn Robinson, um, I think had some pretty solid moments for the Pacers as well. So I think they're good. You know, I think a lot depends on Blake Griffin's health. And that is just an iffy proposition. Uh, but if he's healthy, I think they're a playoff team. And, you know, I, I hope and I hope that he is. I also, I really like Kyrie Thomas in the draft, actually. I thought that was a really good pick for the, where they got him, which is at like 38, I think. Uh, I had him as like a guy who should be drafted in like the late teens or early 20s. Um so I, I really like their draft. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I actually think they had a really good summer. I mean, the, the Blake Griffin trade was a huge swing, swing of the, of the dice, huge roll of the dice, but I think it was worth it. So the last six months for them, honestly, I'd probably give like a B plus grade too. Nice. All right. So I forgot, I, well, I didn't forget, but like for the purpose of this, of this conversation, I wasn't like talking to you as like editor of Clips Nation, but like <laughs> I want to put, so I'm going to ask you like one Clippers question. We're just going to throw this in here. Uh, Tobias turned down uh, 20 million per extension. Uh, what kind of contract do you think he'll be able to wrangle in free agency? Ooh, if you thought Chris Middleton was high. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I mean, I think... Hmm. Again, like I think 2019 summer, we won't know until it happens, but I think there could be lots of teams who swing and miss on guys like the top tier stars, like Clay Thompson, um, you know, even like Campbell Walker, like actual all-star perennial all-star level talents. And when that happens, you come to your Chris Middleton's and Tobias Harris and there will be teams who still have cap space and it'll be like, these guys are really good and we'll pay them what we have space for. I think Tobias Harris could get up to four years, a hundred million. I think he could get 25 million in next summer. Um, so, so that answer is why I'm a lot more comfortable with the Blake trade than I was like at the <laughs> beginning, because the, yeah, the, you know, the difference between the two is, is like, it's, it's a, there's a, there's a chunk of talent between those two guys. And the, the good thing about Tobias was that he made less. And now that he's going to be making, you know, more not as much as blake but more i think the premium you 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 pay for for having them on your team is lessened and so like it's it's more acceptable to pay a, a better player in that case i i completely agree with that i mean i think yeah i mean you, you you mentioned it i mean the big the best thing about tobias was his contract he was really underpaid um you know i do think he is younger than blake and he also does not have blake's health issues and he's also less reliant on Blake than his athleticism so I think he might age comparatively of course a bit better 
but yeah, I mean, there's no question Blake Griffin in a vacuum is a much better player than Tobias Harris still. Um, for as good as Tobias was last year, and he was even better with the Clippers than he was with the Pistons. Uh, he, was, he was a better passer. I think he was a better defensive player as well. I didn't see a ton of him on the Pistons, but he was actually kind of impressed me with his defense. Um, I was expecting pretty bad and said he was kind of average with some surprising abilities that I was not expecting. Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, you watched him a lot more than I did. So yeah, maybe that's just who he is. And I was just came in with low expectations of him um, on that end. But yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Like I said, I mean, I think Blake Griffin, you know, the last two years of that deal are probably going to be pretty hideous. But I think for the next two years, he's probably going to be an all-star in the East if he's healthy. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he's quite going to be all NBA again, but he might be. He's still a threat to get there. And he's a guy who, you know, you can't really market Tobias Harris that much. You know, I love the guy. He's like an awesome teammate, seems like an awesome person. He is not Blake Griffin in terms of charisma, star personality, any of that kind of stuff. And the Pistons really needed that. I mean, honestly, the Clippers needed it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's worth it from that angle. I think, again, the biggest thing with Blake is can he just stay healthy? And the jury's out on that. Um, you know, he played 58 games last year. He played 61 the year before that, 35 the year before that, 67 the year before that. I mean, 67 is not bad. You know, missing 15 games is not horrible, but I mean, it's not great. And that was the best, you know, that's the most games he's played since he was 24. Um, and, you know, how many severe injuries he's had since then, you know, we'll see. But I think from the Pistons angle, like I can understand it. Um, and I think. I think if it clicks, I think they have a pretty good team there. You know, I think there's there is a scenario where they're quite good and they really surprise people. It would it would not shock me. All right. So Robert, thank you so much for your time. I, I truly appreciate it. Uh what's the best place for uh people to come on the internet and, and yell at you about the books or the clippers or, or really <laughs> basketball in general? Uh, right now it's mostly about the clippers because you know like i said i actually haven't started writing about the books yet you know obviously i've been paying more attention to their summer and, and everything because of you know i'm signed up but it's mostly mostly people be yelling at me about the clippers and that's on twitter it's at rich homie flom uh kind of an outdated reference because i mean i don't know rich homie kwan hasn't had a hit in like three or four years but uh that's still my twitter handle it's probably gonna be my twitter handle for the end of time uh, and, uh, as for, you know, where you can find my work, most of my stuff is on Clips Nation. Uh, I actually have a piece going up tomorrow about the Sam Decker, uh, year with the Clippers, which if you want to get really sad and depressed with me, uh, by all means, go read it. Um, but yeah, Rich Homie <laughs> Flom on Twitter. Uh, don't really have anything else social media-ish to plug. Uh, but yeah, that's probably about it. And, you know, if you want to read about Sam Decker, uh, you know, it'll be there tomorrow. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the people will show out for Sam Decker, but uh, you, should, you guys should definitely follow Robert on Twitter. He's a great follow. You should also follow me on Twitter uh, at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, I had a piece about Glenn Robinson III go up today. Uh, I was really happy with the way it came out. Um, it got a lot of uh, traction on uh, on both of our site and, and Twitter, so I appreciated that. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, And we will see you guys later this week.